Welcome to another episode of Focus Points, where we ask one simple question. What do we need to know in order to profit more from reading this book of the Bible? Let's look at another book of the Bible together so that we can better know our God and His Word. Today we're going to be looking at the book of Jeremiah. Now, Jeremiah was written by Jeremiah. That's why it bears his name. He is often, Jeremiah is often called the weeping prophet. He endured a very hard ministry and great heartache about 621 B.C. through about 561 B.C. So you have, you know, close to 70 years, uh, it's probably, no, wait, 60 years where he is, um, he is ministering, but he's ministering at a time where God is judging and God's judgment is becoming more and more sure. And so Jeremiah, he comes with messages regarding sin and judgment. And just like we don't like necessarily hearing about our sin today, and we don't like hearing about how God feels about our sin and how he's going to act, well, guess what? People are the same today as they were back then. His messages that Jeremiah brought these messages were not well received by the people. So about 65 years of ministry gave way to no visible results. Yet the greatest result of Jeremiah's ministry is that we today, nearly 2,600 years later, are still talking about his ministry. Jeremiah didn't see it come to its fruition, but we are seeing many of the things that he preached about accomplished by God, and we are still hearing his messages. Jeremiah might not have realized that when he was on earth, the impact he would have, but he's having a great impact even today. Well, Jeremiah is a difficult book to study. All right, you say, why? Well, first of all, it's length. All right, Jeremiah is the longest book in the Old Testament, which means there's a lot of material to go through. It's also hard because of its content. All right, there are a lot of doom and gloom passages. When you talk about sin and judgment, those aren't usually the passages that you and I gravitate towards when we're trying to find some encouragement from God, all right? It is some hard topics to read through uh, that Jeremiah is covering. It's also difficult because the book doesn't have any logical or chronological structure or pattern, okay? There are sections of the book that are put together and, you know, flow out of one another, but you could have a message in chapter 13 that happened five years after the message that's recorded in chapter 14. And so the Holy Spirit might be able to tell us why he recorded all, Jeremiah recorded all these things in this order, but the Holy Spirit has not revealed to us, and we've not been able to try to figure out exactly how Jeremiah put his book together. And that makes it hard to read because you're just popping in and out of chapters that are talking about God's truth and giving God's truth, but they are sometimes hard to connect together. You say, well, Andrew, this isn't giving me much enticement to actually read the book of Jeremiah. Okay, well then let me try to convince you that you need to read it. Jeremiah has a message, and his message is simple. God judges sin and promises salvation. God judges sin and promises salvation. And those are that message, it really is, has to be one message. Because without the understanding that God judges sin, why should we care about the salvation that God promises? Judgment and salvation have to come together as far as in our understanding of God and his word. 
So what are some of the themes that you can look at to understand this message better? Well, there are four themes. It's about God, God's people, God's judgment, and God's restoration or God's salvation. So what could you notice, first of all, about God? I would encourage you as you read through to notice his revelation. All right, God is revealing himself verbally and in written word all over the book. And in all, the book of Jeremiah has about 523 references to God's revelation. That's a whole lot. It's going to come up in nearly every chapter. In some way, God is revealing himself to man. Notice also God's power. God's power is seen through his names, all right? You have the Lord of hosts 82 times, all right? We've talked about that on Sunday nights. He is the, he is the commander of the forces of heavens, showing his power and authority. He's called the God of nations, the God of all flesh. He's true. He's living. He's internal. Jeremiah 10.10 tells us those. God is different from the idols who are false and are immovable, and they're just passing gods. They're gods of vanity. He's the great and the almighty. He's the redeemer. He's the king. And all of, of these names are ultimately going to show the power of God. So you see God's revelation. You see God's power. Also, look for just God's work. What is he doing? First and foremost, he is the creator in the book of Jeremiah. All right? Often he's talked about how he's the one who has shaped the world. He's the one who has spoken it into existence. And God's rule, because he's the creator, it extends beyond Israel's border. Jeremiah is writing to Israel about Israel, but there are times when Jeremiah's messages touch on the other nations. And why can he talk about the other nations in God's name? Because God created those nations too. So God's rule extends beyond Israel's border, and God still controls creation. That's something that you can look for as you read. He stops rain. He controls the wind in chapter 4. He directs the wild animals in chapter 5. He is the creator God. That is a work of his. But a second work that he's doing throughout the book is he's controlling history. All right, he gives nations into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. Chapter 27 and chapter 28 talk about that. But then eventually he brings Babylon down too. Chapter 50 tells us about that. Jeremiah, when he visits the potter shop, then he's, you know, here's the potter molding the clay. It's an illustration about how God controls history. God is the creator. God is the controller. And nothing is outside of God's hands. What a great message. All right, so that's a theme about God that you can look at. Second, you can also just look at God's people. What is this telling me about the people of Israel and what they were doing good and what they were doing bad? Well, consider their apostasy, all right? Consider how they turned away from God. And Jeremiah shows how they turned by giving two illustrations throughout the book. The first one is of marriage, all right? Israel is called an adulterous wife a whole lot through the book. But God is called a faithful husband all throughout the book. Israel had abandoned their relationship with God. They had chosen not to remember their God, and they were the unfaithful spouse. That's, what their, that's how God talks about their apostasy. But God also talks, Jeremiah also talks about their apostasy by talking about them as the son. They are the son that did not honor or obey their father. Right, we see that in chapter 3 and also in chapter 4. And we also see that as an example with the uh, Rechabites in chapter 35 who obeyed passionately this 
words from an ancestor, but yet Israel won't obey passionately the word from their heavenly father. And so we see the people of God, we see their sin by how they are the unfaithful wife and the the disobedient son. Also look at their stubbornness. Israel knew that they were disobeying God and they stubbornly refused to repent. They would not listen to Jeremiah's warning, chapter 6, verses 10 and following. Jeremiah talks about the stubbornness of their heart or the hardening of their necks and how they just refuse to listen. All of these are issues that talk that show us the sin of God's people. Third theme is God's judgment. Notice with God's judgment how many times God warns, right? He's not a swift God to anger. He is a slow God to anger. He's not going to come down unnecessarily hard. He's going to constantly appeal. But you have a word, discipline, uh, correction, instruction, that's used um, quite a few times throughout the book where he's trying to grab their intention. Over 20 times, he uses this word to repent, turn back. And what do you need to turn back? Well, chapter 4, verses 3 to 4, give us a great illustration. You need to turn back by first becoming sensitive to God's word. You need to turn back by removing sin from your life, just like you remove thorns and thistles from a field. You need to turn back and genuinely dedicate yourself to God. And then you need to take drastic action to remove any hindrance from following God, no matter how small they are. Repentance is not an easy thing. But God commands repentance, and he warns of judgment if they don't repent. Also, look for God's judgment in his wrath. How often does, he describe, does Jeremiah describe God as angry, as hot, as disappointed? But finally, notice God's judgment in regards to his knowledge. Jeremiah 23, 23 through 24, it teaches that God's watchful eye sees everything near and far off. He is completely knowledgeable of the people's needs and sins. And you have this word that God tests or God, God investigates the hearts of men. He understands that the key issue is the heart of his people, not the actions of his people. So we have this message. God, God judges sin and promises salvation. And we can see that by just following the, pattern, following the theme of God's judgment through the book. And our final theme is God's restoration. He gives a promise. Despite all the stubbornness, the rejection, the sin, and the judgment, God is intent to fulfill his promises towards his people. And so amidst all the fervent words of judgment, God gives many precious words of promise regarding restoration in the future. And chapters 30, 31, and 33 are the key chapters of this restoration theme. In uh, in chapter 30, verse 11, God promises to save Israel after destroying the nations that they were scattered. He will bind up their wounds and heal and bring back captives. That's in verse chapter 30, 17 through 18. He will bring the land back to fertility, uh, chapter 31, verse 12. And everything will be as it was before Israel's sin, chapter 29, chapter 30, 31, and 33. All have statements like that. God wants to restore after judgments, and he promises to do it. We also see God's restoration through his Messiah that Jeremiah talks about. God's Messiah, he contrasts, Jeremiah contrasts God's Messiah to the wicked shepherds and kings in chapters 22 and 23. This is what the earthly rulers are like. 
but the heavenly ruler will be so much better. The wicked, the wicked shepherds scatter the flock and do evil, but the promised king will be called, quote, the Lord our righteousness, chapter 22, verse 6. This Messiah will also be from David's line, chapter 23, verses 5 through 6, chapter 30, verse 9, 33, verses 15 through 22. God is ultimately going to restore and provide salvation through his Messiah. So as you read through the book of Jeremiah, there's a whole lot that you could be discouraged about or be tempted to not to pay attention to because it's just filled with a whole bunch of judgment and nations that are just difficult to keep straight. But I'd encourage you, prayerfully read through this book. It is here for a reason. And as you read, ask yourself some basic questions. First, what does this passage teach me about who God is? How is God revealing who he is to his people? Second, what does this teach about man's sin and stubbornness? What does this maybe tell me about Israel's heart that I might find in my heart? Am I stubborn? Am I refusing to repent as I ought? Am I being like an unfaithful bride or a disobedient son? Third, what does this teach men about God's judgment? How should the surety of God's judgment and even the fact that God warns men before he judges them, how should that affect the way I treat God's word? The way I appeal to disobedient brothers in Christ? The way I appeal to the lost around us with the gospel, uh, the gospel message and calling them to repent and receive Jesus as their Savior? So what does this teach men about God's judgment? And then finally, what hope does this passage give for the future? Even if it's only talking about Israel's future, okay, God is going to bring back the, them after 70 years of captivity. That's a promise that's already been fulfilled. It doesn't apply to you and to me, but it shows who our God is. He's a God who keeps his word. He's a God who gives us hope. And so let us place our confident expectation in what he has promised in the future. So may God bless us and help us to understand this great book as we read through the book of Jeremiah this year.